That dude has been challenging me for like every year I've known him. If you know Jeff, you know that um, it's a bummer to eat with him because you're going to stand in the back of the line until everyone else has already eaten before you go through because that's what Jeff does. And uh, it's a bummer to, to drive with him because you're going to park in the far edge of the parking lot um, so that he can give every other space to other people and you're just going to learn to walk a little bit, and he's going to stay longer and get there earlier, and he's just always been like that. And I don't throw out words uh, by God's grace without meaning them. I have the highest level of respect for your lead pastor, and your team here is fantastic, and it's crazy. I found myself just kind of remembering that I've been doing ministry and kind of partnering with this church for a lot of years from junior high, high school retreats, leaders retreats, men's retreats. It's been a while since I've been back. Last time I was back, I got in such a massive paintball war that it looked like I was diseased. I went running in and got lit up my whole chest. I was just destroyed. Um, That was not so much fun, but every other time has been great. Actually, that was probably the most fun. So I'm glad to be here. This is awesome. I want to draw your attention to a few people you actually probably have seen before. How about this guy, Tom Brady? Tom Brady, years ago in a CBS 60-minute interview, he, was, uh, he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Okay, this is a lot of years ago. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. You reached your goal, your dream, your life. Me, I think, he says, God, it's got to be more than this. And the reporter then asked, what's the answer? And he said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. This next guy, famous uh, Canadian um, and American actor, comedian Jim Carrey, said this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Isn't that nuts? I hope you can get it all. And the quicker you do, the quicker you'll realize it's not it. This last one, Anthony Hopkins, famous actor, was interviewed by Miranda Sawyer, and he said it this way, you know, I meet young people, and they want to act, and they want to be famous, and I tell them, when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up there. Most of this is nonsense. Most of this is a lie. Some I can't convince you of that. You hear those words and go, yeah, okay, great. I hope I make some more money because then I'll finally get the, oh, I hope I soon get married to this. You know what? When my kids finally get to this age, then I'll have, you know what? We're going to take a trip. We're going to get this house that we're, and some of you I can't reach. But I think God's word will reach to your heart and show you most of this is nonsense. Most of this is a lie. Your heart and soul longs for joy. Something greater than your experience will be in this life. And the answer is in our text. In fact, we will be led there by a man's prayer this morning. So Psalm 84 is where we're at. If, uh, if you just dropped your Bible, it probably open in the middle to the Psalms. So then they're in numbered order. So 84, if you can find it, that's where we're at. Otherwise, turn your phone on. It'll have it too somewhere. Psalm 84 is a prayer. The Psalms are prayers, uh, many of them put to music. This prayer, we don't exactly know who prayed it, but we know that he is one of these sons of Korah. It says that even before verse 1. The sons of Korah were people that were assigned to guard the threshold of the tent. There was this tent where people met with 
God in, and they were kind of like on the outside, maybe security detail. That was their role, and one of these sons that was guarding the threshold of the tent gives us this prayer, okay? So we're listening in on his prayer life. You learn a lot about people if you can listen to them pray. Some of them pray things that are memorized and cold and dead to them. Sometimes people just pray about people's health. Some people pray so much about people's health, you wonder if their goal is to keep saints out of heaven instead of sinners out of hell because they seem to pray more for that than this crowd. (laughs) You learn a lot from how people pray, and we listen in now on someone praying, and we learn about God from his prayer. So I'm going to start with Psalm 84, and I'll read the first four verses. They say this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. And then this word off to the side, we'll talk about it in a minute, Selah. I'm going to stop there. First off, he begins with, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. He calls God Lord of hosts. That's weird. I normally, when I pray, I go, God, or I say, Father. He says, Lord of hosts, and names are important in the Bible. In fact, Lord of hosts will be repeated not just twice or three times, but four times. It's the way he refers to God through this prayer. What does that mean? Lord of hosts is literally the commander of the heavenly hosts. So like, Leader of SEAL Team 6, okay, this is the commander of the armies of heaven. So this is a picture of God as a divine warrior. He is the Lord of heavenly hosts. So while we will listen to a prayer that sounds very intimate and tender in nature, he is praying to God who is a warrior. Lord of hosts is a dominant name. But what he says right from the start to the Lord of hosts is this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. So so where does he want to be? In God's dwelling place or in the courts of the Lord, which begs the question, where does God live? Where is his dwelling place? We just call them addresses. You know, where is God's dwelling place? Where is this court of the Lord? Well, interestingly, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people Um, worshiped God around an area called the tabernacle. So the courts of the Lord probably referred to, and we've, we've got a picture of this here in a second. There is the, the tabernacle, this tented area where God's people came and they worshiped him at this place, right? And so only some people were allowed in there and, and these sons of Korah maybe were on the outside, but they came to worship God at these courts of the Lord. Now, in time, this tent area would not be used. It would become a temple. And in fact, take a look at this. Herod's temple would be built in time. Solomon built a temple. Right now, all there are is the foundation stones. If you go to Jerusalem, all you find is the stones it was built on that are left because the whole thing got destroyed. But this temple is a place where people came to interact with God. They came to worship God. And, and God, in a unique way, dwelt there. Now, it begs the question, was, was God jammed in there? Was he contained in there? No. No, nothing could contain God. In fact, listen to Solomon's prayer. He was the one that first built the the temple itself. Listen to Solomon's prayer on like the ribbon cutting day when they opened the temple. He says this, but will God indeed live on earth? 
Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. So Solomon realizes, yes, God is in the Holy of Holies, in that place in the temple or the tabernacle, but look, all of heaven can't contain God. God made himself known there in, in a super amazing way, but all of heaven cannot contain God. And make no mistake that while this temple was amazing, the finest craftsmanship, gold, silver, bronze, all the most ornate decorating, people did not go to see what was at the temple. They went to interact with who was in the temple, the living God. And so this guy is talking about his ex desire to experience God, and look at the language he uses. See if it lines up with your heart this morning. He says, verse 2, I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. It would have communicated enough to say, I want to go to the temple. Or just grab one word. I long to go to the temple. Like, I want to go get ice cream. I long to go on vacation. No, he has to go further. He not only longs for it, but he yearns for it. Yearns. It has a connotation of like fainting, thinking you're so thirsty, you want it that bad. But that's not enough. He not only longs and yearns for it, his heart, and not only his heart, his flesh cry out for the living God. My wife tells me often, I talk too much. She says, just wrap it up. I, or she'll say, I get it. Um, I get it. Just keep going, you know, when I've gone too far. She would be correcting this guy nonstop because at some point you go, I get it. Long, got it. Yearn, okay. Heart, soul, stop. But if you've been around people in love, they have a hard time stopping, don't they? <laughs> they write really long letters, texts, like there's not enough emoji in the world for them to just pass on how much they love people. It's just dripping with, with warmth and passion. And I mean, just text, text, text. It's like you can't say enough. These are the words of a man in love. This is not duty, this is delight. This is not obligation, this is joy. He wants to be somewhere, doesn't have to be somewhere. Church isn't a place he must go to. He just wants to encounter God. Bad. In fact, look, it says his heart and his flesh cry out for the living God. Cry out is, is, is just powerful. It's like a soldier or a warrior heading into battle. It is the noise of the battle cry. Like, ready? Yeah! You know, just charging into battle. It's crying out for God. Or, mothers, you could use the same word of a child crying out. So, think of that little baby crying out for food in the middle of the night. You've heard this before. Feed me! But they can't say it because they don't know any words yet. You know, they just cry. Cry out loud. It's been four hours. I'm going to die. You know, like just they're crying out. That's how he feels towards God. He's crying out. I've seen this in the lives of students over the years. I remember um, some students who invited me to seek the Lord with them. And they said, hey, we're going to spend some time fasting and praying. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, like I'm on staff. They're just students. 
sure, no problem, you know. Well, how about we do that for uh, 10 days? I'm like, <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, absolutely, you know, is that it? You know, like, I'm like, I've never done anything like that. Why? What was the big deal? They just wanted God. So I jumped in at an obligation, you know, or something, you know, and, and jumped in with them. And I'm telling you, I, it's a long time to not eat food. Like, we drank water and stuff and juice, you know. And one of the students, this one college student, he was working landscaping that summer. You done landscaping out in the heat day after day after day? Try that for 10 days straight, a third of a month, and you're not eating. All you do is get up and drink something. And just kept going and going, seeking God, longing, hungering, thirsting, crying out for God. Students like that win your respect. And that exact student, landscaping student, he became your lead pastor. See, there's something in him that wanted God and believed God would do something big if he would seek the Lord. And that's the heart of this guy. I'm longing. I'm crying out. He's even jealous of a bird. Did you see that in verse 3? Check this out. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, Lord of hosts. Get this. He's a son of Korah. He stands at the threshold guarding the thing. And he's like, how come that bird gets to go in there? There's a bird that just sort of flew in there, set up a little nest up in the corner. That bird gets to be closer to the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies than I get to be. Ah! And then he gets upset at the priest. Check this out, verse 4. How happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. Do you see what's going on in his heart? He wants to be in the temple because he wants God. God is the hunger, the thirst, the delight of his soul. There's no duty and obligation. And he cries out for God. I think some are just wandering through life missing it. You know, you see that word at the end there? It says selah. It's an interesting word. It can mean a few different things. If you combine all the meetings together, it might mean something like this. Hey, just, just pause, like stop. Think about what you just heard and praise God. So, so after this thought, the Bible just kind of tells you stop, think about it, and then praise God. I just want to stop, like time out. Let the Word of God turn on you this morning now. What do you long for? What do you hunger for? What do you look to or who do you look to to please your soul? I wonder if some are wandering through life going, oh, I hope it's him. I really hope it's him or, or her. Man, if I could finally have, and as we head that way, God's going colder, 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 colder. Oh, it's my kids. I mean, man, they're involved in like everything. It's just sports. It's one thing after another. I mean, but you know what? I just, we're just doing this dance around them. It's just, just centering lives around them because kids are everything to us and God's going colder, 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 colder. You know what? When I finally have enough money, I'm going to get that car, and I, that car is going to be awesome. In fact, and then the house, we're saving now, but you know what? We're going to get there. We're working hard. I'm, I took an extra job and whatever, and we're moving towards something to have some experience, and God's going colder, 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 colder. And this guy goes, I found it. It's in the living God. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation in this. What your soul longs for most, it is in a relationship with the living God. And the longer you look to him, 
the longer you look to her, the longer you look to those kids or grandkids or shiny things, the farther you go from God. And in fact, it is so easy, is it not, to make great gifts into terrible gods. We have a tendency to turn God's gifts into idols and to put on them a pressure that they cannot sustain. We were made for the living God. And the sooner we come to realize that, our hearts will be satisfied. He goes on in this psalm with verse 5. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. And then that word again, Selah. Now, what is going on? I read these verses when I was first, like as a pastor, just trying to take notes. And here's my question. What does this even mean? Like I read these verses, I didn't get it. But I think the clue is found in one word, pilgrimage. You see that? Verse 5, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. He is talking to a group of people who are going somewhere. That's what pilgrims do. Pilgrims leave where they're at. They travel somewhere else because their devotion, their spiritual devotion. So get this. There is a group of people leaving where they're at, and they are heading somewhere together. Where are they heading? The verse 7 gives us a bit of a clue. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. So this group of people, wherever they're starting from, they are heading together to Zion, another, another reference point for the city of God or Jerusalem. So it's referring to a group of people traveling towards where God's temple is. Who are the people who are heading there? I think Deuteronomy 16, 16 gives us a clue. Listen to this verse out of the Old Testament. It says, all your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. So get this, there's a command in the Old Testament that says, hey, three parties are coming up, and it's required attendance, at least for all the guys. So three festivals, wherever you live, you head back to Jerusalem, because it's a party. That's what you do. And we learn later in the scriptures that it wasn't just the males that went. In fact, whole families went together. Do you remember perhaps in Luke 2 where Jesus' family travels, the whole family, like, you know, uncles, probably cousins, aunts, I mean, mom, dad, I mean, they all travel to Jerusalem and then they lose Jesus. Do you remember that? This is, this is a great calming verse for all you parents who lose children, me included. You know, someone was leaving church the other day at our church and was like, oh my word, I only have three of my four kids. I'm like, dude, round it up. Like, that's a win. Like, you got the majority of them. That's awesome, you know. And uh, now he kept looking. But like, the, the reality is, you know, they lost Jesus because the whole family headed down. This was, a, this was like the family vacation, guys. They're leaving where they're going. They're heading somewhere special, right? You know what family vacations are like. We love family vacations. But sometimes they're not as happy as you think they will be. I mean, there's a lot of hours of driving. And then you get there. It's a lot of hours of standing in line at Disney. And the thing was only like three minutes. And then someone throws up. And then it's hot. Puke and heat. 
don't go together, you know? And then, it, and then you get back home and Visa's like, hello, you know, you owe me. And, and guys, we know what it's like to be at the end of the vacation and be like, you know, it, it was good. You know, it was good. <sighs> I'm exhausted. Some of us know exactly what that's like. I mean, but these guys aren't just heading to go somewhere and do something. They're heading to encounter the living God. And the Bible is saying, happy are the people whose strength is in you. Happy is repeated multiple times in the psalm. You want to be happy? Look at these people heading towards God. They're heading to find their joy in the living God. They're pulling their families with them. They're heading to worship God. Stop. Selah. Stop. Pause. Reflect on that. Where are you heading? Let's just do what the Bible says. Let's just stop for a second. Reflect on that. Where are you heading? And where are you leading people? All of us have some level of influence. The smallest children in here are pulling people into their realm of influence. Dude, have you seen the movie? Have you seen that? Have you seen, oh, check out this app. Get, we're all pulling people into what we find delight in. Probably no one more than the fathers in this room. Men, God has by his design called you to be the leader of the family. You are the leader of the family. The question is not, will you be? The only question is, where will you lead them? You're not better. You're not smarter. It's a privilege by God to serve your family and humbly lead them. Your wife, your kids, everyone's looking towards you. Where are you taking us? Where are you going? This guy's leading people towards God. Well, let's go on that family vacation. Where are you taking them? Let the money trail tell you something. Where is your greatest investment? If not in the kingdom of God, where is it? That's where you're leading them. Where is your heart at? What do you cheer the loudest about? That's where you're leading them. What do you carve out time for? What will you not miss? That's where your heart is at. Where are we leading our people? And by the way, there's no guilt in this. There's no condemnation in this. This psalm, we're just looking at a guy's prayer. It is an invitation. Not to harm, but to bless us because some have lost their way. Some of you are looking to the person next to you to satisfy your soul. Stop putting a pressure on them that will crush them. Your heart was meant for God. Augustine said that years ago, 1,600 years ago. Our souls will be restless until they find their rest in God. Don't put that pressure on your children and make an idol. They are great gifts. They make terrible gods. Don't lead them that way. This guy was leading people towards God. Are we for their joy, for their life? Well, he continues to go in the rest of the psalm. Look at how he closes this, verse 9. He begins praying for, I believe, the leader of God's people, the king. Consider our shield, God. I think that was the leader. Look on the face of your anointed one. And then look at verse 10. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of wicked people. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of hosts. Look back at verse 10. Better a day, better one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. If you could go somewhere for one day, where would it be? <laughs> I mean, you might, hey, you already said it. I think it'd be Disney World. Maybe not in the summer, but you know, the winter wouldn't be bad. It might be that cruise. It might be that trip. It might just be like, can you take my kids for a day? <laughs> that would be a day in heaven. You know, like, I don't know in an honest moment how you'd fill in the blank. But this guy says, look, if you give me a thousand days that you can dream up, a thousand of the best days, you could string them all together and I would trade them all for one day with God. Better is one day in your courts, God, than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather, he's like, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather like be at the threshold. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Why? For the Lord God is a son. He's a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. He doesn't withhold any good thing from those whose walk is blameless. Like, this guy has found his life, his joy, his pleasure in the living God. Not in his car, not in his thing, not in sex, not in a toy. He's found God, and he pulls us in. And as I look at this psalm, and I look at his delight in the living God, I want to just for a moment, I want you to see Psalm 84 like a Google map for a second, okay? Just see it right there, and you see the minus sign, like the zoom out? Like, we're going to click that, okay? Let's just click that a couple times, because I want you to see how this psalm fits in the Bible. This guy was like, I would do anything like to be the bird. I want to get as close to the living God as possible. I want to be at the temple because of who's in the temple. But look at what God does. God wasn't content to stay kind of in a temple, manifesting himself in a special way only through that holy of holies. No, no, no. The temple came and dwelt among us. Look at John 1.14. This is what John 1 says. The word, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and took up residence, or literally tabernacled among us. Let me stop. The Word became flesh. Jesus, God, becomes a human. He becomes flesh, and He took up residence. It literally means He tabernacled. Think of the tent. Okay, it's like skin was stretched over deity. God became flesh, like, like the tent was stretched over who God is, and now the tent's moving around. Everywhere Jesus goes, it's like God is dwelling now among his people. And look, we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came, he tabernacled among us. You didn't have to go to a temple. He was moving around people. And he said to one lady who had had five husbands, was living with a man who wasn't her husband, about to hit strike six, and I'm sure countless others, he said, whoever drinks this water that I give him will never thirst again. He's referring to himself. You're busy slurping from a well that will never satisfy. You are sucking from a mud puddle, longing for life, and I offer you life. Drink this water, have me. That's what we need to hear. But here's the problem. We missed it. You and I 
miss this unique three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus Christ before he, like was earlier said, went to the cross, died, buried, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven. We missed it. But God wasn't okay that we missed it. Get this. The God who dwelt among us now comes to live in us. Look at this next verse. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary? You're the tabernacle now. And that the Spirit of God lives in you? Don't you know that? God wasn't okay that you just missed the coming of Christ. No, now His Spirit comes and lives in you. You are, every one of us is like a temple in and of ourselves, and God comes to dwell in us. It's like we are the holy of holies, and God is saying, I want nothing in between us. See, this is a beautiful thing about becoming a Christ follower. The God of the universe doesn't stay at a distance and say, good luck, see you in heaven, and do better than that. No, he comes to live in us, to be our encourager, our comforter, our counselor, to be the one that empowers us so we can say no to our godless ways of life that I want to fall into and do fall into, and he takes me out of the ditch, dusts me off, and brings me right back in to the presence of God. This God wants to be with us. And so he comes and he lives among us. And then more than that, look at this. God's presence will be with us. Revelation 21 says this. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God, no longer just in a tabernacle or temple somewhere. God, not just simply in our hearts. Now, God with us. The longing of our souls is to have our God with us, to be in his presence. And oh, how we have missed it, to try and find life on this earth. We've been deceived. We have thought this life would satisfy. It will not. I remember driving across the country with my son. He's really big now. He's like 20. And at that time, he was this old. I don't know how old he was. He was like that old. And, and Josiah and Ellie and Claire, my, my three children, I was reading a book to them. Dangerous Journey. It's like the kid's version of Pilgrim's Pro, Pro, um, Pilgrim's Progress, thank you. Uh, I forgot the name of it. And, and this is like the illustrated version of it, so it's awesome. And I'm, I'm reading it to him, and in one of the pictures, they're all kind of scary, this, this, this Christian's on his journey through life, and it's like the devil is trying to like just tear him down and distract him. And in one of these pictures, right, in one of the pictures, there's this man named Demas. And in the Bible, you find the name Demas, and he's a guy who loved money, trying to pull Christian off a path, trying to kill him. And you see this man trying to ruin his life and trying to bring him down this place where he will fall to his death. And, and with that imagery in my son's mind because of this book, I remember driving across country. We pulled in. There's this casino. There's a Starbucks in it. I'm going in for coffee. I head on in, and my son's walking with me on the way to the Starbucks, and he just, like, stops. He just looks around. Lights 
everywhere, flashing lights, the sounds going on, tons of people pulling handles, pulling handles, pulling handles, money falling out of machines, hitting these tin cans, making so much noise, lights, sounds, money crashing everywhere all around him. He had stopped and he says, Dad, I want to live here for the rest of my life. And I leaned down and I said, this is where Demas lives. And he was like, (laughs) now, I don't know how you parent, and I'm not saying that's good parenting. (laughs) I'm just saying it made a memory. And some of you are standing in this world going, I want to live here for the rest of my life. I'm telling you, your soul will be restless until it finds its rest in God. Your heart will be empty, and everyone and everything around you will feel the pressure of your idolatry until you come to Jesus and know that your soul was meant for him. My wife's here. She's considering getting a tattoo. If she does, it'll be right here, and this is what she'll put on her arm. C.S. Lewis wrote this years ago. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world to enjoy the living God, and many of you will be there soon. In this lifetime, find his pleasure and joy and give your life away. There is joy in that. And for those who don't know Christ, you are in a dangerous place. The judgment of God is over your life. And God is a God who forgives and starts over. And today would be the day for you to come to Jesus. Find him to be the one who forgives through what he did on the cross. Comes to dwell in you and gives you the joy you long for. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for Brookside Church. I thank you for how for years I have known them. And God, for your tremendous faithfulness to your people here. Jesus, you are the flaming center of heaven. No one will enter heaven and run past you and jump into a pile of gold or heavenly reward. No one will jump into heaven and and look for family members who've gone before. Jesus, you're at the center of it all. And I pray, God, we would live our lives and give and serve and go in such a way that reflects that you are the greatest treasure, you're our greatest joy, and we find even greater joy helping others to find that. God, we need you. Save us from ourselves, God. We're so prone to wander. Save us from ourselves and lead us safely into sweet communion with you. We pray in your name.